Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator and the editor of its US edition. We thought that 2020 was going to be all about the presidential election, but now it will forever be the year of the pandemic. So instead, Americano is going to look at how COVID-19 is transforming the United States and its politics. There's a lot to talk about, perhaps even more so than before. So please keep tuning in. I'd like to draw your attention to our Memorial Day flash sale, which will be running until Monday, the 25th of May. It's a very good offer. You get three issues of The Spectator for just $3. Um, That includes monthly delivery of the magazine, unlimited access to spectator.us, our newsletters and our podcasts, and full access to the digital archives. Do take advantage of it by going to spectator.us forward slash Memorial Day. I'm joined today by Amber Athey, who is the Spectator's Washington editor, and we're going to be talking about Obamagate. Now, Amber, Obamagate, for those who don't know, is the sort of reverse of Russiagate, and Russiagate was the idea that we talked about a lot in the last three years, that um, Trump was somehow in collusion with Moscow, with Putin, and that he'd been compromised in some way. And this was a source of a huge investigation that ended up being a bit of a damp squib. And now we have Obamagate, which is the sort of unpicking of that investigation. And it seems to lead all the way back to President Obama. Have I done a fair summary of what Obamagate is? Yeah, I think generally speaking, the Obamagate issue is about the origins of the investigation into Russiagate, as well as what Obama's knowledge was of the level of spying on the Trump campaign and how much of that was more created by the FBI and the intelligence community rather than really following up on legitimate leads in regards to criminal behavior. And it starts with it starts with the Steele dossier, which was funded by uh, the Democratic National Committee. Is that right? Yeah. So the Russia investigation technically did not start with the Steele dossier. It started because George Papadopoulos was apparently drunkenly bragging about Russian information to Alexander Downer, who was an Australian diplomat. He actually went outside of the chain of command to report that conversation to the embassy, which then told the FBI. And that was when the FBI decided to start looking more into the Trump campaign's connections with Russia and opening a formal investigation. However, the Steele dossier became a huge part of this because when the FBI was looking at getting FISA warrants to tap the phones with Carter Page, who was another Trump campaign advisor, they used the Steele dossier in large part to get those warrants. In fact, Inspector General's report said that they would have never been granted those spy warrants unless the Steele dossier was in there. And the Steele dossier, as you mentioned, was funded by the Democratic National Committee as well as Hillary Clinton's campaign. And it was also apparently a source of Russian disinformation. So when Christopher Steele was running around uh, looking for- We should say he's a a retired British spy. Yeah, he's a retired uh, M16 spy who started doing opposition research. When he was running around looking for information, he was talking to these Russian sources that he had. And we've just recently learned that apparently the Russians were actually actively feeding him disinformation so that they could essentially cause division in the United States by 
casting these crazy claims about Trump. Um, obviously, some of the craziest ones in the dossier were these, these uh, claims that he was videotaped in a Moscow hotel room with uh, with hookers and and that was doing disgusting yeah. things. That, yeah, that everybody knows about, but we shan't we shan't dwell on. But I mean, but that was that the fact that it was so disgusting and so outrageous did sort of suggest to a lot of people at the time when when it came out that it was compromised because that's a very sort of KGB FSB technique to right. kind of, you know, to play on the licentiousness of the West, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And what's even crazier is that the Steele dossier was quote unquote, confirmed by the FBI from media reports. But the problem is that the media did not independently come across this information. It was actually fed to them by Steele and other people who were involved in the dossier. So there was this circular confirmation of the dossier, which allowed it to then be used as a source of information in these spy warrants. And then, and then this this is during the transition period, right? This is this is when this is happening. Yeah. So the the investigation initially started in the summer before Trump was elected, but the FISA warrants mainly took place in the fall. So they would have been some of them were after Trump was elected. Yes. And so, what? Where are we now in terms of what we know about how involved Obama was, how involved Joe Biden, the then vice president, but now presumptive Democratic nominee, was? Yeah. So the the new information that's come out recently, as more of this is declassified, the latest batch was declassified by the acting director of national intelligence, Rick Brunel, who uh, was formerly serving and was still serving as uh, the ambassador to Germany. And what he revealed is that there were these unmasking requests related to General Michael Flynn, who was another subject of investigation in regards to his conversations with Russia. Now, he was talking to the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak, during the transition team period. So he's heading into the administration as the presumptive director of national intelligence. He had every reason to be talking to Kislyak, but the Obama administration was apparently alarmed by these phone calls. So there were, I believe it was 48 requests from various Obama administration officials from the director of the treasury to Joe Biden was one, Vice President Joe Biden, to John Brennan, to uh, Jim Clapper. All across the board, they were asking for information on these phone calls to find out Michael Flynn's identity. The other thing that we recently found out is that Michael Flynn was also apparently being spied on outside of that incidental collection of when they were just listening to Sergei Kislyak's calls. Then someone from the Obama administration turned around and leaked these calls to the Washington Post, which helped plant this suggestion in the media that the Trump campaign was having these improper contacts with Russia. Well, it's interesting that Grinnell, who's now the director of intelligence, he's been sort of thrown in there to to do precisely this, hasn't he? He's, he's kind of a, a reverse... Um, Schiff, if you like, but on Team Trump. So he's he's going through. He's, he seems to be there. Seems to be a sort of some concerted attempt to coordinate it with the media, to kind of roll out this idea that the real scandal, uh, and I'm not making judgment on whether it is the real scandal or not, that the real scandal is why this investigation was launched. Yeah, and Rick Grinnell is an interesting person to put in there because he doesn't have that much experience in terms of running the intelligence community. So he's been receiving a lot of criticism from opponents of the Trump administration and is only furthering that criticism, of course, by unveiling a lot of these documents that don't make the Obama administration look very good. 
And it's really funny because six months ago, Trump wanted to nominate John Ratcliffe to the position. He's a former member of Congress. And everyone was livid that Trump would even consider this. They thought that John Ratcliffe was just a partisan, you know, right winger who was going to destroy the intelligence community. But now after Rick Grinnell has started declassifying all of this, all of a sudden the Senate is willing to confirm John Ratcliffe. So uh, in a very roundabout way, Trump is actually able to get his original DNI pick in there. Well, by th- because Grinnell is so horrifying to the Democrats that they, they'll fall on Ratcliffe gladly. Is that right? Yeah, it's kind of like how they want to remove Trump and replace him with Pence, because uh, even Pence is better than Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, what happens now? Presumably there are more explosive revelations to come. Do we get the impression from Team Grinnell, if you like, that that's happening? Yeah, apparently so. And Lindsey Graham is involved in this, too, being on the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's uh, promised to release some more documents related to this. I mean, ideally for Republicans, what they want is they want a paper trail that shows that President Obama himself was aware of the length that his administration and his intelligence community were going through to try to get the Trump campaign. And then the other piece of this is figuring out how much, if any, of this investigation was justified, because the more information that comes out, seems to suggest that it wasn't. Regarding the origins, back to George Papadopoulos, for example, uh, there were recorded conversations that he had with these uh, FBI confidential informants that suggested he knew nothing about any involvement with Russia or Russian information that was coming out against the Clinton campaign. All of those conversations, of course, never leaked to the press. They were actually never even used in any of uh, the FBI's documentation of that case. So the public would have no idea that he ever said any of this. Carter Page, meanwhile, was a U.S. Naval Academy graduate, yet was accused of being a Russian asset. So everything that we're learning about this as it goes on seems to suggest that this was either a deliberate attempt to take down an incoming administration or it was a huge, huge mishap in terms of the FBI jumping the gun based on one conversation that didn't really encapsulate the full context of the Trump campaign and any ties they may have had to Russia. To what extent is Obamagate becoming a campaign issue? It seems that the Trump campaign are eager to make it a campaign issue. But to what extent is it actually becoming something that Americans will bear in mind when they cast their votes in November? This is going to be something that furthers the suggestion that the political class in Washington, D.C. has always been out to get President Trump. And that was something that obviously rallied his base a lot in 2016. But I've spoken to a lot of never Trumpers or moderate Republicans or even people who consider themselves independents who see things like this and say, wow, the game really is rigged. And the media, the political class, the intelligence community were all against Trump. And he still managed to have a, have a relatively successful three years. So I think it would be smart for them to campaign on that. It also gives him a bit of uh, cover for any mistakes he may have made because he has this line where he talks about, you know, even under all of this immense pressure and stress and people working against me at every turn, still managed to get all this great stuff done. Um, so it's a, it's a good line for him. Yes. I'm not sure that it's going to convince anyone who you know hates his guts, but it could be helpful. And certainly the implication that Biden was involved in this will, will be helpful to them as well, just like with the 
uh, Ukraine story and Hunter Biden, any whiff of corruption surrounding Biden will be helpful to the Trump campaign. And and it also, I mean, it feeds into his his new big campaign line is that he's going to make America great again, again, and that now he'll be able to do that if he gets a second term, he'll be able to do that without the huge distraction and um, hindrance that was the Russiagate investigation. Yeah, exactly. And he made the same argument about the impeachment uh, scandal, for example, uh, in regards to coronavirus, because back in February, of course, the Senate was still focused on articles of impeachment and whether to remove Trump and uh, releasing all of these documents about Ukraine and Biden. And, and they argue that that was a distraction that led to a delay potentially in either Congress's or Trump's ability to respond appropriately to the virus. So there's this sort of weaponization that the right does when the Democrats try to come after them, then they come back and accuse them of distracting from the real issues that Americans care about, which is something that resonates, I think, with voters. How much do you think voters have lost interest, though, in the whole story? I mean, Russiagate was exhausting. The Trump narrative against it has also gone on for a very long time. And then already this week, again, you're getting Ukraine coming back with with this leaked tape of Biden seemingly pressuring uh, the then Ukrainian president to fire a prosecutor general, a quid pro Joe, as they call it. I know I find it hard enough to keep up with as a journalist. I don't imagine uh, the public can possibly keep up with all the shenanigans. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, even for me, I've been following this pretty closely for the past three, four years. And I have to constantly go back and refresh my memory of all of the cast of characters and the documents that have been released because there's just so much to it. There's so much detail that the average person is not going to be able to follow all of that there. But they, they do follow the basics. Like they know that there was no collusion with Russia. They know that Mueller was appointed after Trump fired James Comey. And they know something in regards to Obama having knowledge of it. That's what the Obama gate signal is referring to. So you're right that these little minute details are not going to grasp the average voter. This is something that is more for Trump's base. Um, the ones who rallied behind him while he was under this huge cloud of suspicion. And it's giving them some hope that anyone who was involved in criminal behavior, whether it was the leaking to the Washington Post or anything else, would potentially be held accountable for their actions. But I mean, so far that hasn't happened either. So, Is there a danger that they're overplaying, um, that, that the Republicans are overplaying their hand here? Because I mean, we had that Susan Rice email that was hyped up as a as a kind of smoking gun. Um, but similar to all the big smoking guns in the Trump-Russia story, um, it turned out to be nothing much at all, really. Do you think there's a danger that Trump might be showing that the deep state is not nearly as uh, nefarious and sinister as his fans like to make out? It's quite possible. And I think the other place where this could backfire is if there are no indict criminal indictments or no one goes to jail, it's going to look like a major failure on behalf of the Trump administration to not weed out what his base sees as these deeply corrupt criminal people. So, for example, people in Trump's base have been calling for James Comey to be locked up for years. Yeah. That's probably not going to happen. Andy McCabe was, of course, fired from the FBI for lack of candor, but he's probably not going to face any criminal charges. Same thing with, you know, Jim Clapper, John Brennan. If all these people get away with what the base sees as hugely criminal behavior, it's going to be 
just another indication to them that it's impossible to clean out the swamp and that Trump maybe is even swampier than they realized. Yes. And what's interesting about those characters is that they seem to have not not lied under oath. Uh, they seem to have told the truth under oath, which is that they didn't really think there was much in the Russia collusion story. But while they, at the same time they were on TV constantly insinuating that Trump was a, a Russian asset. So they were kind of lying in public, but being honest under oath. So I wonder whether that makes them uh, liable to be indicted. Yeah, that's the tricky thing. I think the one person that there's a case that he lied under oath was uh, Jim Clapper, because he said under oath that he didn't really know anything about unmasking requests. And he's also accused of lying about leaks to the media. So he would be one that could potentially get caught up in that. Uh, but yeah, most of the lying hasn't been done in a way that these people would, could be accused of perjury. It's more about them misleading and lying to the American people than it is in a criminal manner. It's an immoral thing to do, but not something you could necessarily charge someone with. There's, of course, all these people lying to about whether or not they knew about the Flint unmasking. And that was part of where Biden got tripped up because his campaign tried to argue that, you know, this wasn't a big deal. It was routine. But um, the second part of the scandal was that one day prior to these documents coming out, Biden was on television saying he didn't know anything about the Flynn investigation. And what's, how's Biden going to handle it as the weeks go on? Is he going to, do you think he'll come out um, firing against it? Or do you think he'll just hope that it washes away? Yeah, it's a good question. To be honest, I don't even think Biden really knows what's going on, <laughs> uh, which is kind of an evergreen statement. But particularly in this case, as we were just talking about, this is a very complicated issue to follow. And it seems unlikely to me that Biden was this huge mastermind who was, you know, nefariously plotting behind closed doors to take down Michael Flynn and by extension, the Trump administration or the Trump campaign. And that four years later, he's going to remember all of these meetings that he was in or these things that he did and be able to defend himself appropriately. So I think we'll see one of two things. He'll get really angry when asked about it and give you know a very awkward and unintelligible response, or he'll just try to ignore it. Or, or perhaps you know the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he was senile. <laughs> it very well could be. <laughs> Amber, we'll leave it there, but thank you very much for joining us today and um, speak to you soon. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. 